As John begins his unique gospel, the gospel of John, he doesn't write evangelic visits to Mary or Joseph. They're not even named. There's no direct mention of a virgin birth. There's no manger scenes or wise men visiting the toddler Jesus. Like Matthew and Luke, there's no genealogy. There's no star over Bethlehem, and there are no shepherds abiding in their fields at night. When John begins his gospel, when John begins his story of the Lord Jesus Christ, he goes back further. He goes back to a time called in the beginning. Using the language of Genesis 1-1, the apostle John starts actually before creation, before time. John begins in John 1-1 when there was no heaven, no angels, no earth, stars, sun, or moon. There was no man or woman. There was no passing of time. There was no created light. There was no space, matter, molecules, or chemicals of any kind. There was only God. There was only God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God in three eternal persons, sharing glory, love, and joy. The Father delighted in His Son, and the Son brought glory to the Father. And they did this through the power, the infinite power of the Holy Spirit. Three persons. Always distinct, but never separate. Only God, God complete in himself. God needed nothing. God in perfect fellowship within himself. The triune God did not need angels to praise him or humans to serve him. To say that God was lonely before creation or that God needed man or that God needs anything is a very low view of God at best or blasphemy at worst. Given this reality, the reality of God, and given that Matthew, Mark, and Luke had already written their Gospels, and the Apostle John surely had access to those and had read those and studied those, given that God existed for eternity. Well, you can't even really say it that way because God existed before there was time. Given that reality, John began thus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was, in the beginning, with God. This is how John will begin his gospel, his message of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Bible's most concise description of reality before creation. John's in the beginning is an echo of Genesis 1-1 in the beginning, but his in the beginning is before that beginning. In the beginning, he says, in a, in a place, it wasn't really a place, it wasn't a time, we can't even conceive of it because we're, ta we're, we're space and time-bound creatures and our minds cannot conceive of a time when there was nothing but God himself. And in that time and in that place was the Word. It's interesting, he doesn't say in the beginning was God. He says in the beginning was the Word because that will be the focal point of his gospel, of course. The logos, the message, the report uh, the, the, the word of, of God in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. He was pros theon. He was 
face to face with God. Now there's a distinction. There was the Word, and now the Word, the eternal Word, is face to face with God. Now a distinction between the Word and God. Certainly he's referring here to God the Father. He wasn't just with him. They were in communion together. They were in fellowship together. The Word indicates they were facing each other. They were face to face with each other. And then John tells us, and the Word was God. He was divine. He was deity. And so now we have a distinction between the Word and and God, and yet the Word was God, and He was in the beginning, once again, face-to-face with God. This is some of the most sublime, surreal words of all of Scripture. Man, can I get his head around these three lines here in my notes of, of God's inspired Word as John goes before all other gospel writers to, to peer, peel back the curtain, if you will, into this time when it was only God now in communion with himself. Much more could be said there, and maybe in future services will be, but at that point, there's this like pause, and we just try to contemplate what John has said before he goes on. And then it happened. The next line, all things came into being through him, the word. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. All things, the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth, the the planets, the solar systems, the galaxies, all things came into being through him. It doesn't say that he is the direct creator here. It says that he is the agent of creation here. They came through him. He is the mediator of God's creation. All things, Adam and Eve, all things, angels, everything that that God created came into being out of nothing. There was nothing but God. And then into being, everything came through him, through the word. And to make sure we understood, he says, apart from him, outside of him, without him, Nothing came into being that has come into being. So everything we see in creation is the result of God creating through the eternal word, the one he was, who was face-to-face with God. John goes on, in him was life, and the word was life. And the life was the light of men. He's life and light. He embodies, he is the essence of life and light. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not overpower it, is the better translation. New American Standard says comprehend it. That's true. But a better translation is overpower it. And now, you know, we were in the beginning, we were echoing Genesis 1, right? Creation of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Now John is on the other side of Genesis 3. Now there is darkness in God's creation. Now the fall has happened. And now John is thinking about Jesus Christ coming now in light of the fall of man, in light of our sinfulness, in light of our death that was the result of our sin, in light of our darkness that is the result of our sin. In him, in Jesus, in the word was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines, present tense, continuously shines in the darkness, into the darkness, piercing the darkness. The light cannot be stopped. The light lights up the darkness, and the darkness did not overpower it. The fall of Satan and the fall of 
Adam and Eve and all of the sin that has ever happened since then did not conquer the light, did not overpower the light. Of course, we know where John's going in his gospel. He'll spend, uh, you know, chapters 12 to chapter 19 on the passion of Christ, on the suffering, on the cross, on the death and resurrection. It would seem that darkness overpowered the light when we think about the rest of the story, but that is actually the opposite of what happened. Just when it seemed that darkness was overpowering the light, actually the light was overpowering the darkness. And the irony of ironies, it's at the cross when Jesus is dying that he is actually defeating Satan and defeating our enemy. And John is hinting at all of this in his prelude. Now, because this word of the Father was also the Messiah of Israel, a gift to the nation of Israel, a Jew being given to Jews, God raised up a forerunner prophet to herald his coming to Israel. And so he goes on in verse 6, There came a man sent from God whose name was John. That's John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light. But he came to testify about the light. And this is just a little snippet to remind us that Jesus is the Messiah of Israel who had a forerunner who himself was prophesied in the Old Testament. That Jesus would come to fulfill all necessary prophecies of the Old Testament. That John would come and was raised up by God, a human being, mere human being, just like you and me, who would come as a witness, just like we are to be witnesses as Christians, to testify about the light, for Jesus is the light of the world. And notice here in, verse, in this section, I think verse 7, that he says, so that all might believe through him. And now we're beginning to see the gateway into this life and into this light. It's this simple word, believe. The simple word, trust or have faith. That if we would have faith in this word that was with God, through whom all creation came into being, if we would put our faith in him, we might experience something of his life and something of his light in our life. John must decrease, Jesus must increase. John made it adamantly clear he was not the Messiah, he was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. He is a great role model for us to follow. Next comes great irony and great contrast. Irony of all ironies and a blessed contrast. There was the true light, speaking once again of the word. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. Surely this must be hinting about us being made in the image of God. Uh, this is hinting at us having a conscience and the ability to discern right from wrong. He enlightens every man. Uh, this speaks somewhat of Romans 1 where we are without excuse for we know there is a God. And it is Jesus Christ that imparts this knowledge to us. This is the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world. Here's the irony. And the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own, his own people, his own ethnicity. He came to his own nation. He came to the people of God, the people of Israel. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. This is a prelude to the Gospel of John. He's hinting at the rejection to come, right? Uh, 
He's hinting at what mankind would do with this gift from God. We did not receive him. Now the contrast, but even though the very people he was intended for, even though he is the gift of Messiah to the nation of Israel, he, even though he is the king of the Jews, even though they as, as a whole did not receive him, but as many as received him, as many as welcomed him, as many as humbly embrace him, meekly receive him, to them, emphatic, exclusive, receive him to them. He gave the right, the authority, the power to become children of God. The Son of God comes to make us children of God. The Son of God comes to make us sons of God. And he alone can give us the power, the authority, the privilege to become children of God to those who receive him, even to those who believe in his name, trust in his character, trust in his authority. What did we learn in the book of Acts? Name means power, means authority, means ability to do something. Those who will believe in his ability to do something will become children of God. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So behind our believing and behind our receiving is the work of Almighty God, bringing about the new birth, for we must be born again, born from above. And it's not ultimately of, of our blood, tears, sweat, and effort. It's not of our will of our flesh. It's not of the will of any man. It's the will of God, the power of God, to bring about this new birth. And so we have seen up to this point, in these first 13 verses, this eternal word who dwelled with God, face-to-face -face in communion with God, the very agent of creation, the light and life of the world, the one who gives the authority to become a child of God. And then it really happened in an event far surpassing the miracle of creation, in an event far surpassing Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, for all of that glory and all of that beauty and all of that power in an event that goes so far beyond that that it makes that pale insignificance, God became man. This is the grand miracle. This is the greatest miracle that there has ever been or ever will be or ever can be. Far surpassing creation, far surpassing even the resurrection. The resurrection was an inevitability. <laughs> the resurrection must happen. But this is what C.S. Lewis called the grand miracle. God became man. Invisible God took on full humanity in the person of Mary's baby boy. In the person of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one and only God-man. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Literally tabernacled among us. John, so filled with the Old Testament, is now in the book of Exodus. Looking at the tabernacle, housing the Shekinah glory of God. And he says... 
That's Jesus Christ. The Word became human and tabernacled among us. And we saw or beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me, even though John was born before him. For of his fullness we have all received in grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Oh, we could spend... Hours upon hours and weeks upon weeks just trying to scratch the surface of these uh, immortal words of John. The one who was face to face with God there in the beginning became human. He took on skin, flesh, bones, and he tabernacled among mankind. And they were so privileged, the apostles especially, to see his glory, the glory of God on display through the person of Christ. The glory is of the only begotten from the Father. Begotten, not created. Eternally begotten from the Father. And this, this one who is so full of glory and shining forth in all of his acts and all of his words, he was full of grace and truth. This is code for he was God. <laughs> grace and truth are two words that are often found in the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms, that speak of God and his character and his relationship with his uh, people. And so now John takes those words and applies them to Christ. Then the, uh, John the Baptist had cried out about him and, so this is, this is the one. This is the one that existed uh, before me. I love verse 16. It's of his overflowing fullness all of us have received who are Christians who have received him. We've received of this favor of God. And it's grace, literally, instead of grace. Or grace against grace. Here, here's a, here's, a, here's a truckload of grace. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Oh, here's more grace. I'm sorry. <laughs> Did I give you grace? Oh, I'm sorry, I meant to give you grace. <laughs> We stand in grace, we're under grace, we're surrounded by grace. It's grace upon grace. It's, if you're in Christ, all you'll ever know for eternity is grace. All you will ever know is God's unmerited favor, his smile, his love, his affection for you. He is for us. That's what grace means. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. It's God's unmerited kindness and favor for those who did not deserve it. And this grace is like waves of the ocean. It just never stops. It just rolls over our life day after day after day for eternity. For the law was given through Moses. Moses was the mediator of the law. Grace and truth, he doesn't say were given through Jesus Christ. They were realized through Jesus Christ, for he is the embodiment and the essence of grace and truth. There it is again. Grace and truth. Grace and truth, that's what we need. We need God's grace for our sin and God's truth for our lies. And they are realized and they're embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. And then finally, no one has seen God at any time. God is invisible. No one has seen him at any time. No one has ever seen God. And you would expect John to say at this point, the word has seen him or the, the, the only begotten God has laid eyes on him. But he doesn't say that exactly. He says the only begotten God, referring to Christ, some translations say the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father. 
This is interesting because it would be John who would lay back against the bosom of Christ at the Last Supper in that picture of human intimacy and friendship. And now he's going to use this word of Jesus with God who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained him. The word explained is where we get our word exegete or exegesis. Christ is the exegesis of God. Exegete means to pull out what is in the text, to unfold, to unpack something, to explain something. And this is what Jesus has done on behalf of the Father or of the Father. So what have we learned about Jesus? Well, we've learned that he's the eternal word become flesh. He is the divine man. If we're thinking about the Trinity, we might say he's the face of the franchise. We've learned that he's God's agent or means of creation. And we go back to Genesis 1, and God said. And God said. And God said. That is, that is God creating through the means of his Son, the Word. We know that Jesus possesses eternal life and moral light and purity in himself. We've seen that he's the Messiah of Israel who fulfills all the necessary Old Testament prophecies. We've seen that he's God's only begotten Son, eternally begotten, not created. And we've seen that he is God's conduit of grace and truth who perfectly and fully puts God on display. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. You want to see God? Look at Jesus. He puts the true God of the Bible on constant display for humanity. So what does all of this mean to you and to me? He doesn't need you, but he loves you. He can live without you, but you can't live without him. He's not lonely, but he wants a relationship with you. He, Jesus, died on a cruel cross after three hours of darkness, but the darkness did not overpower him. In fact, he conquered sin, he conquered Satan, death and darkness in his death and resurrection. So John would tell us here and tell us throughout his gospel, for those who humbly receive him, he is life for our death, he is light for our darkness, he is the son of God who makes us sons of God, he is righteousness for our sin, and he is all satisfying God for our sin-weary souls. It would be the word made flesh who would say, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. We might say it this way, since we could not reach him, he came down to us. Since the prisoners could not break out, he broke in. He broke into the prison. He broke into humanity. He broke in to break us out. And if you will humbly and meekly and repentantly receive him as your personal master and savior... If you will believe in him from this point forward and unto the rest of your life, he alone has the power and ability to forgive you of your sins. He alone. He alone has the ability and power to authorize you to become a child of God. 
Oh, how amazing is that? To be an heir of God, joint heir with Christ? To inherit the earth? To reign with Him in the kingdom? To be part of that great restoration that we sang about a few moments ago of the one who is worthy? How amazing is that? To be a child of God and no longer a child of Satan? A child of heaven, no longer a child bound for hell? How amazing is that? Well, Jesus Christ can authorize that <laughs> right here, right now. He can. He can authorize you becoming a child of his Father. That's what this text tells us. As many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. You see, the only road to God runs through Jesus. I want you to stand with me now, and we're going to recite John 1, 1 through 18 together give you a chance to revel in these wonderful words. Let's worship the Lord even as we recite this together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Amen? Amen. Have a seat and let me pray briefly. Father in heaven, thank you for these glorious words of your inspired scripture. Thank you that Jesus Christ is ready, willing, and able even now to receive sinners unto himself to forgive and to grant the gift of eternal life. For in him was life and the life was the light of men. Shine your light in us, to us and through us, Lord Jesus. And as we continue now in this service of worship, 
worshiping God for this great gift of the word become flesh. We pray you'd fill our hearts with joy and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.